Hey there, Five Things listener. We talk a lot in the show about the social platforms we use, but very rarely do we talk about who we follow. And we all follow people online. But did you ever wonder who those people follow? Every week on the Follow Friday podcast, you'll find out. It's a guide to the best people on the internet, including past guests like Song Exploders' Harisha Keish-Hirway, YouTube star Tom Scott, and New York Times writer Kara Swisher. A lot of the folks that host Eric Johnson has interviewed are people I follow. So search for Follow Friday in your podcast app now or go to followfridaypodcast.com. and welcome to this week's edition of the hashtag five things we gather here each week to take a deep dive into five topics from social media and share some takeaways that brands and marketers should probably know as you can probably deduce i am not your usual host joey scarillo he's taking the week off to unplug and refresh and reset. Instead, I'm Amanda Davis, and I'm hosting this very special edition of The Five Things, where we're actually going to focus on some key takeaways from this year's Social Media Week conference right here in New York, New York. I wanted to take a second to shout out to the Social Media Week team. Fantastic crew they have over there. It's exciting to be in a real life event again. And joining me today is first one of our weekly pillars of cultural conversation, Tommy Boyce. Hi, Tommy. Hi, Amanda. New Joey dropped. Brand new Joey. We missed the old Joey. Hope you're having fun as you listen to this. And this week, we also have a special guest for this special episode. Julie Bentley is joining us after being on the ground at SMW 2022. Welcome, Julie. Hi, Amanda. Thanks. It's so exciting to finally be on the pod. We're so excited to have you. First of many, I'm sure. All right, so let's get into it. Julie is going to share some of her key themes that she noticed at the conference, including a huge focus on creators, maybe more than we've seen previously, an overwhelming presence of NFT conversations, specifically as it relates to social media, the idea of DAOs, which we will unpack as frameworks for content ownership, a shift in community. What does that mean for brands today? And how do we help build community with our consumers? And then a focus on creators' points of view of... Of authenticity. All right. So with that, Julie, take it away with our first thing. Yeah. So to kick it off, creators being more important than ever. Oh my gosh. There's so many things that they talked about on this front. Most of all were how we are actually using creators for brands, the incredible volume that is needed now and will be needed even more in the future. So Alexis Ohanian, for example, who was a co-founder of Reddit and is now a co-founder of 776, was talking about how in 10 years, you won't be able to properly deliver any kind of marketing campaign or presence without creators. Key points there were needing to automate in order to cope with the volume of creator work that is needed for a lot of brands. And also authenticity, of course, it's the buzzword of the decade. But what does that actually mean? Does it mean, you know, hitting six speaking points in 30 seconds? That's impossible. Like, what are the tactical details required to let you actually be authentic, to let the creator be authentic? And then what it means for brands that you have to seek out opt-in tools, seek out places that creators are very intentionally presenting themselves and open to brand work, have that experience, and then to allow them to to be creative in the way that they naturally are, to let them use their style. That's basically what you're hiring them for. We love to see it. And I will hearken back to some of the conversation that we heard at South by Southwest when our special guest, Kyla, mentioned that there's actually not a ton of conversation around creator content and co-created content. So it's great to see this at Social Media Week and how that's growing. 
One question I have, when we think about automation and some of the opt-in resources that you mentioned, was that discussed exactly what that might look like or the future of what those tools could be? Yeah. So opt-in wasn't something that I heard about so much in the panels, but it was something I actually heard talked about kind of around the conference from a lot of people from actual creator agencies, of course, is promotion. But something I learned about is that it's the big difference between just scraper tools who are just pulling what's on the internet versus, you know, places, yeah, that creators are intentionally showing up and presenting themselves. Tommy, when we think about the future of automation, specifically as it relates to creators. Something I think about with the future of automation, actually, is an exciting announcement from TikTok that came out last week, which is about a new product that gives creators a chance to partner with marketers on branded content in an automized and very easily accessible way. And basically, the net net is that advertisers can crowdsource content from creators and turn top performing videos into ads and launch branded campaigns and encourage creators to take part in them. So brands you know, can develop a brief and release it into the wild so that a creator community can participate and encourage participation in these sort of brand missions. So I think it's great that now we have so much momentum in terms of automizing this process. I mean, as someone, we all work in this industry, sometimes fielding talent and creating contracts and working with talent can take time. And it could actually be detrimental to process the amount of time it takes to get all the details ironed out. And so this future of having things, if we're reaching a place soon, as said by you, Julie, where we're not going to be able to launch a campaign without creators being a part of it, this will be really fundamental in the future of creating work. And I think it's exciting that TikTok is, as we're speaking on it, ready and willing to take this next step forward and make it all easier for the, the whole process. That's great. And especially too, with those opt-in features, brands have a chance to work with creators that do feel really passionate about the brand and have a connection with it too. So I imagine the content that comes out of it will be even more engaging. Awesome. All right. We're going to take it away to number two. Julie, tell us about the NFT conversation on the ground. Yeah. So Social Media Week had an entire Web3 metaverse day on day three, but NFTs were mentioned even before that. Anheuser-Busch, especially with Budweiser, as well as Pepsi, both talked about their basically case studies of what they've been doing lately that are really amazing. And there are a few themes that stood out over the course of that. One is NFTs as very long-term items. So Spencer Gordon from Anheuser-Busch, they have a new internal digital-first creative agency. And he said, think of these as things that will exist for the next 100, 200 years, which is maybe not something that had crossed a lot of our minds. It feels very new, but he's saying, think of it as something that is like permanent branded art and it will always represent your brand and be tied to it. A couple other use cases that showed up based on other conversations with Playboy even, who are doing some really cool stuff, is think of them as collectibles. People just want that piece of your brand. And so NFTs can be this really fun cross-section of what do your audience actually like? What are they interested in? But also, what would they want from you as huge fans of your brand? Playboy was taking historical logos and images associated with them and airdropping them to attendees at an anniversary party, for example. So curious what you guys think about that. We love to hear more NFT conversations. I think to your point, Julie, there's so many ways that brands can use NFTs. 2021, we saw a lot of value and collectible art applications of them. But thinking about, again, how you can actually build a community under your brand, if that is the right approach to how you reach consumers. And also, you know, provide a loyalty program, a rewards program, a value exchange system. That's all within the tenets of Web3. So I'd love to see that that's part of the conversation. What's also interesting is the somewhat recent news of Instagram adding in 
and NFT functionality right now. It's pretty straightforward, but they do have a long roadmap that they've discussed around what this could be. And it's speculative, but there is a good chance that they'll create a marketplace. They'll create a front end, what's called a custodial wallet, where people can purchase NFTs or something on the blockchain without having their own crypto wallet or knowing how to do that. It's a little bit tough at this point. So even from a content creation standpoint, you know, creators that are on the platform can own and monetize their content as well as the brands that are partnering with them to make it. So there's tons of avenues that this can go down. I have a feeling this will not be the last that we talk about NFTs. All right. Speaking of Web3, let's talk about DAOs, one of my favorite topics to talk about this year. Julie, what did you hear? What did you hear at Social Media Week? Of course, it's your favorite topic. So it was only this one very dense, honestly amazing info-packed session with Amir Carlisle and Sheldon Day from Bank DAO and also, I believe, the Players DAO. So really quick, for the sake of everyone, including myself, who did not know what a DAO is going into this, DAOs are decentralized autonomous organizations. And what that means is that it is an organization, but the rules of how you function within it and the ways that you earn credit within it, etc., move forward with it, influence the decision-making in it. And all of these crucial rules are built into a program on your computer. And so Amir Carlisle and Sheldon Day, a lot of what they talked about was how they use their bank DAO to kind of reverse the value flow for users. His example was, of course, a bank and how banks take value from the users and channel that up into earning profit, right? And that profit, he feels like, doesn't flow back to the users in a great way. So he was talking about how they use their DAO program rules to basically gamify membership in the organization so that people can, first of all, democratize the actual decision-making within the organization and get value back. So what they dove into was how they use the program in their DAO to democratize, first of all, the power of the organization so that everyone in there can have an equal share so that people with more money don't get more of a say, right? Because that would duplicate some of the problems that we have in our current systems. Again, rewrite the value so that the democratized leadership, which is basically everyone in the organization, can choose where that value goes to once it's earned, once profit is made. So obviously that's very heady and seems a little tangential to marketing if you haven't heard about it before. But the entire point of it is how community ownership is created through these Web3 systems and what it means for marketers and for brands in the future. The existence of DAOs itself just shows that in the future, brands will evolve to have more community ownership. Social media in itself is all about community listening, right? It's all about being built around community and DAOs are the next step, which I think is why it makes sense for it to be talked about at a social media conference is that it will sometimes fall on that social media person to listen as brands evolve in this direction. That's great. I love to hear about this application of Web3 ideals, even when it does happen within Web2 channels. I think what's really interesting is the concept concept of Web3 exchanging value between a brand or entity and the consumer slash supporter, theoretically, everybody agrees with, but it's not 100% clear how that might be action. And DAOs are one of those resources and tools that actually get to create behavior for consumers to actually be part of the decision-making process. I think about the Web2 version of that is everybody on TikTok wanting the Mexican pizza to come back. Taco Bell heard them brought the Mexican pizza back in partnership with Doja Cat. That example of value exchange and consumers being able to actually help make decisions is is a Web 2 version of that, but not totally different. Tommy, do you see these Web 3 applications and resources providing some of the same for brands going forward? I do for sure. And would like to highlight that today as a recording is Mexican Pizza Day. 
to Happy Mexican Pizza Day, everybody. Thank you, Doja Cat, for all of the things you do, but also that. And I think that one of the main points and really excellent parts of social media is its ability to form connections with audiences. It's why we do the thing that we do. It's why we all have jobs. It's this desire of us to form these connections, relationships with audiences. And DAOs and Web3 take us one step further into that by bringing them into the fold of the creative process. I think we're already seeing it still happen at Web2 with Elon Musk. That deal is still very much in flux right now. But him just putting on polls, asking what features people like to see on Twitter. It's these kind of things that make people feel an ownership of the brand or product they're taking part in. And that's one of the features that especially younger people value most in a product. So I think as we progress along this road and into Web3, that it's going to be more vital than ever to have people be a part of the conversation and really listen to what people are saying and take note of it. So I think this is going to be a really major step forward in the kind of steps of relationships between the brands and consumers. That's great. I'm so excited to see how brands leverage this. I know especially DAOs in particular are so new. The way I always explain them to oversimplify it is a group text with a bank account. It's a very simple, simple version of what the technology can do, but being able to make decisions as a group without essential authority. Very interesting. 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 All right, Julie, let's go into number four, keeping on our Web3 train. Let's talk about community building. Yeah, so it's a great segue from you touching on Web2 and what this community ownership looks like with our current platforms. So community building being essential to future brands. This is something that we've known. This is something that we know and advocate through social media. But of course, Web3 is taking it a step further. So my icon in terms of this is Riot Games. And they did have a panel at Social Media Week. And they were talking about how at the very origin of their brand, creating the product had so much to do with the conversation back and forth with their users, I think. I forget her exact words, but she basically admitted that the product wasn't amazing at first. It wasn't great, but they were so in touch with their consumers and what they wanted that it evolved into something really great. And by nature, their brand is something built by their consumers. And so further things that they've done that are amazing, such as Arcane, the show on Netflix, that is basically just fan service. That is a huge success. I mean, how many video games can say they have a smash hit TV show that is just part of their game lore? is amazing and a fantastic example of listening to people. I believe they were in Discord when they first got up and running. Um, and then another example was Steve Aoki. He was, of course, the highlight of Social Media Week at the very end. And then him talking about how this evolution has been for him. He saw the very start of social media and now is very on top of his game, pushing his fan base and how they connect with him into Web3 by creating the Aokiverse, which is very kind of Web 2.5 which I would love to see what Amanda thinks of that. And he sees it as a place that it's not just where people can come to say hi and view it. And he views it as not just a fan community for people to come and say hi and have a very light participation. He views it as a membership community with, again, the goal being participation and ownership and a two-way conversation. So really applicable tips for this are from... Riot, creating consistent real-time two-way dialogue to see what your audience actually thinks. And basically what that means is finding out where your audience is and meeting them there and starting that conversation. That's great. I love the phrase Web 2.5. And I think it's a really good example of we're so early in the idea of what Web 3 can be. 
all we have to really build off of is what we have in Web2. And there are some really amazing things that Web2 has brought. It's brought ease of access. It's brought accessibility. It's brought understanding and a little bit of transparency, a little bit of not, but allowing people to opt into a system that, you know, doesn't feel like it's out of reach or too complex for them. So I think we will start to see a little bit of that front end convenience of Web2 paired with the back end complexity and, and powered by the blockchain of Web3. So really fascinating. And I love to, you know, these topics coming up, we talked about some of these similar adjacent merge of gaming, social metaverse platforms. What does that look like in the future? We talked about it probably earlier in the year with our recap of South by Southwest. And it goes to show that these things are really not going away. It's part of the really big part of the conversation. And I'm curious, Tommy, if you think the evolution of community building from web two to web 2.5 to web three, are there any brands that are, are doing it right and building that emotional connection with consumers? I think a brand that really exemplifies that actually has been Supreme in terms of how people are ride or die for that brand and the community it's fostered. I think we've seen it obviously from its roots of being very gritty, very small and very niche into being one of the largest and most visible clothing brands today has been really remarkable. And I think it's been through this evolution and adoption of social media with its drops, its influencer campaigns. It's really taken all sort of facets of social media and leverage them to its fullest potential. Where now it's people identify as a supreme person. They use that brand as part of their self-identity, which is the goal. And obviously it's different for fashion compared to other brands. I mean, what works for Supreme might not work for a Modelo or for an Advil. I don't know if I can say those because they're both great names, but I work on them. And obviously it's different for every brand. What works for Supreme might not work for, you know, a consumer brand or something like that. But I think that by taking advantage of everything being offered and by really going no holds barred where people have not gone before and brands have not gone before, Supreme has fostered a community of people who live by this brand. And I think if we're talking about case studies, that is definitely one to keep note of and one that I always think of. That's great. And I love how both of you have outlined what previously might be different KPIs, for lack of a better word, you know, using audience participation to create a really great product to purchase and building an emotional connection. And sometimes I think we have tendency to separate those as if they can't be achieved with one, you know, interaction. But that community building um, Web3 value exchange between brands and consumers can can actually do both, which is, is fascinating to see how that grows. All right. Take us home, Julie. Let's talk about creators and, and what they're thinking and what the landscape is like these days? Yeah. So creators being way ahead of the game in terms of how we use and live on social media is, you know, kind of soapbox that I will always be on having been raised on what circa 2014, 2015, early YouTubers transitioning to Twitter, transitioning now to Twitch. So what we talked about is social media week with two really great creators, actually several, but the two I want to highlight are Josh Ostrovsky, also known as the Fat Jewish on Instagram. He reminded brands, made us aware that it's way past the era of just shallow Twitter clapbacks, talk like actual real human being people. So that was his call to action is be real, be honest online and act like real people. We're no longer trying to act as these characters of actual humans. And this is tied into the web three, you know, responsibility that people can see what we do, can see what a brand is actually offering to their community in terms of value, you know, talk about DAOs, talk about 
all of that integration. Another great call out from Tim Chisano, who is a TikTok influencer uh, who used to work in a corporate job and just like slingshotted in the opposite direction to a lot of day in the life and family content. He advised that the way you should approach content is, you know, honesty without oversharing and to use your creativity to really explore where your audience is coming from. A lot more of that theme of like, where's your audience? meet them there and how are they acting. So my interpretation of that for brands is look at what creators are doing and try to do that. What are the things that you're doing right now that resonate with your audience that were pulled from creator behaviors? I mean, Twitter threads, live tweeting, outfit of the day for fashion brands. Like these are all things that were started by creators first. So if you are looking into how you should evolve as Web 2 slowly evolves into Web 3 and into Metaverse. Look at what creators do. Look at how they intersect with your brand intersection and your audience's interests and see how you can imitate it. And the faster you can do that, the earlier you can adopt what they're doing, the better off you'll be. That's awesome. And I really appreciate, Julie, thinking through the concept of Web 2, where creators were birthed, like this is where influencer content got its start. But into Web 3, a a key pillar of that is a creator economy and an exchange of content and value and services that can be upheld within these platforms. So I think it's really important to track that conversation of what you outlined. Tommy, I'm curious, do you think that brands are as receptive to this evolution of how to use creators? You know, five years ago, it was very much... I would say 10 years ago, perhaps very much this product placement world. And we're so far from that. Do you you see most brands picking that up and agreeing with that strategy? I do, actually. And if you let me have a somewhat strange tangent, I spent last night with some friends watching a lot, almost all of the YouTube rewinds, which for those of you who don't know, they were a now uh, canceled series of YouTube videos that highlights the year and memes, trends, and it's made by and with creators of the platform. And seeing the evolution from 2012, which was just you know, the big names at the time, it's only about a dozen or so. It's like, you know, Freddie W, Smosh, uh, Tobusks at the time, into 2018 with just this, it went from like a three-minute mashup to like a 12-minute storyline, creator-driven like escapade. I think it's a great microcosm of how brands and creators have changed and the relationship has changed in the past decade. It's now much more a part of the process. I think, Julie, you've mentioned earlier how in another decade, it won't be possible for us to not work with creators but we're already at the point now where working with creators is an organic and natural part of creating content. It's what we do. It's where our mind first goes to. And I think that certainly was not the case a decade ago. You think of where we were a decade ago with influencers, where it's just, you know, Instagram was supreme. You get the one sort of content post and that was it. So now having fully fleshed out campaigns across all channels that are, you know, omni-channel presentations that are reaching TikTok for the authenticity or Instagram for the glamour shots and all these new evolutions are, I think, really being taken advantage of and we're seeing some great work done by it. And I think we're going to continue to see that kind of work in the future for sure. Oh, that's so exciting. Julie, I really appreciate you coming on and, and giving us the scoop from Social Media Week. And Tommy, as always, your perspective is invaluable. Thank you both so much. With that, if you don't already, please be sure to follow us on Apple and Spotify. You can always email us any thoughts, questions, feedback, podcasts at gray.com. And as a heads up, the five things will be off next week for Memorial Day. So go find a pool or a beach or a hot dog. And we'll see you in June. With that, be social. The five things are written and researched by the social and connections team at Gray New York. Produced by Joey Scarillo and Danielle Hunt. Mixed at Gramercy Park Studios by Guy Rosemarin and Amanda Fuentes. With post-production support from Ned Martin. 
Additional support by John Jenkinson, Christina Hyde, and Liz McGovern. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.